listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Sometimes all you need is for someone to show up. Uh, There's many times in my life when I found that principle to be true. Um, I'm the kind of person who doesn't ever want to admit that I need help or admit that I'm lonely or that I'm in over my head. But there's times when people have just showed up for me despite what I told them to do. Uh, One of those times I can remember, I'll tell you a couple of them, um, was when I was doing multiple rounds of chemo in my 20s, I uh, spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. And I would work full-time during the week, and then there would be certain weeks where they would want me to come in and do an infusion over the course of three, four, five days or whatever, depending on what, what we were on the cycle. And um, I wouldn't really tell anybody I was going. Like, um, uh, my, my story's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's long. Way back when I was 16, I spent a lot of time in a children's hospital, chemo, all that. And this was kind of my second go around. So kind of knew it wasn't that big of a deal. Didn't want to burden anybody else. I didn't want like two people sitting in a hospital being bored for three days. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't even tell my mom that I was going. Like she would call. She'd be like, what are you doing? I'm just in the hospital. Like that's not a way you want to start a conversation with your mom. But, um, but she knew, like she knew what was going on. And I just didn't, you know, just didn't want to bother people. But there was this one nurse um, she wasn't quite a nurse yet, but, uh, she, uh, who is, she's actually my wife now. Um, but she would come and she would find out, I don't know if she did it legally, but she would find out when I was going to be in the hospital. Okay. She had her ways. Um, and there were all these actual rumors that came out kind of after we started dating. And we, even after we got married, that, that she was my chemo nurse. Um, and in the greatest, you know, Grey's Anatomy episode that would be, um, <clears throat> It didn't actually happen that way. Um, there was no, you know, there was none of that sort of a thing. She was actually working, finishing up nursing school. She was working um, at Mercy Hospital in the in the ER, and she would find out whether it was through, you know, you know, prayer circles or whatever it was, or you know, HIPAA. I'm not sure what she was doing, but she would find out that I was in the hospital. And so after her shift, she would come up and she would bring her homework, and she would just sit there and she would just be with me. She would just show up, um, and of course, I, you know, I, I took a liking to her. It was pretty, pretty cool to have her around. And, and that became the point where actually when my mom said was like, do you need me to come help? I was like, no, just like, we got this. We're fine. And, uh, and so she would come and she would come and read her, um, you know, she'd read her boring school books and I would watch sports center for the fourth or fifth time that day. And it wasn't anything special about it, but it did end up being formidable time, like in the growing of our relationship and still 13 years of marriage later, she still reads her boring books and I still watch sports center four, four times a day. So nothing's changed really, but sometimes you just need someone to show up. And there's another time that I remember, I'll, I'll never forget this because when my best friends was involved, it was in 2019 when my grandma passed away. Um, it was about this time of the year and it was, it was cold. It was nasty. And I really didn't expect to see like any of my friends travel all the way to Houston, Missouri. It's about an hour and a half from here. Um, but I didn't, I didn't expect anybody to come. People had, you know, said they were sorry had sent sympathy notes, all that stuff. And so I had taken, um, taken about a week off 
and had gone, my family had asked me to do the, the funeral. And so I took a few days where I just kind of went off by myself and wrote this message and to honor my grandma and honor my family. And, um, you know, nobody ever wants to actually do that for their grandma, somebody they've, they've loved and looked up to for, for so long. Um, but I thought that was what I, what I could offer. And so it was a really, really challenging time um, for my mom and all of her family and all of this. And um, it was just, you know, time away from work. And I just, I just poured my heart into this message. And I don't really remember a whole lot about that message, um, but I do remember specifically uh, the visitation night, the night before the funeral. And, uh, you know, tons of people had come as this little small uh, country church in this little town that I grew up in, and I'd never seen that many people at that church. And I just, I just, people just kept pouring in, pouring in. The visitation hours were over and there's still people in the parking lot. And I was, I was already exhausted. I knew we had a long week ahead of us. We still had the funeral to do. But at the end of that line, my best friend, Zach, was standing at the end of that line in his, in his big winter coat. Um, and he had driven after work. He had come all the way, um, you know, from Springfield out to Houston, which is not all that far, but he had taken the time to come out there and he's standing there at the end of the line. I just remember being exhausted, tired, but seeing him show up was just, was just so refreshing to me. It was just so, it was such a, you know, like a, like a great thing for my heart and for my family. Um, our families go way back. So he gives my mom and my dad a hug and then he gives me a hug. And then out of the two pockets of his giant winter coat, he pulls two McDonald's McDoubles <laughs> and hands them to me. And they say that it's the thought that counts, but the thought with cheeseburgers is really what counts. And that's why he's my best friend. So sometimes you just need someone to show up. You know, we've started this series one at a time based on the book with the same title by Kyle Eidelman. And we're looking at the one at a time approach of Jesus and disciple making. I love this book because it does feel like it's a little bit of a weight, a little bit of pressure off of um, those of you that might think when we talk about disciple making and you come in here and you see something like every tribe, tongue and nation. And you're just like that. That's a lot of work. We're going to need more manpower. We're going to need more logistics and whatever they're doing at Amazon. That's what we need to do in the church. And we need to assembly line this situation so that we can make more disciples. And, uh, you know, we know that better programs and more efficiency in the church create more converts. But we've also learned that we're not trying to just change the status of somebody. We're not trying to just get something done quickly. We're not trying to dunk people and then kick them out into the world. We're trying to make disciples. And, and we say it here that we're, we want to make disciples who make disciples. And so when you are disciple, that's, that's, that's more of, a, of an investment in someone. And so this book, and more importantly, the Gospels, reminds us of the way that Jesus, not through a more efficient plan or through a faster pace, but through a one-at-a-time approach, discipled people. We see Jesus in the Gospels deliberately seeking out the one. Yeah, we all know the story that he told. We all know the parable of the, the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep so that he could go rescue the one. And that's a beautiful story. It was my, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible growing up. I love the, the, the idea that Jesus, in all of his power and all of his glory, and all of the, he, he wants thousands and thousands of people to follow him, would leave the 99 saved and go find the one that was lost. And that, that's just, just so heartwarming. It's such a great story, but it was just a story. Jesus didn't just tell the stories, but he showed up as well. He went out of his way to stop when the woman touched the hem of his garment and the power left his body. He stopped the crowd and he embraced one at a time. He halted the caravan to look up in the tree to see Zacchaeus one at a time. 
He went directly through Samaria to meet the woman at the well while the disciples went in to get lunch. He stayed one at a time. The list goes on and on. He calls Matthew out of the tax collector's booth and says, follow me one at a time. He calls Peter out of the fishing boat. He goes to Nicodemus at night, the Pharisee, the enemy, the the bad guys, right? And and he goes to him at night and he has this mind-blowing conversation with Nicodemus on what it means to be born again and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. One at a time. Every, Every interaction we see Jesus have, every person that he encountered from Peter to Pilate, it can be summed up with this one word, proximity. He came close to them. He didn't keep them at arm's length. He didn't start a program and go, all right, go figure that out. That'll spin a bunch of disciples off into the world. But he came close. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time when we say Emmanuel, that God with us, that Christ came near. And Jesus gives us this model to follow. And sure, maybe there may be someone in this room who could stand up and preach to the masses. There may be someone who could, you know, go into every tribe, tongue, and nation and really just, you know, like, wow, people. You can be the next Billy Graham who say crusades across the world where everyone's coming to hear the word of God preached from your mouth. And maybe you have that opportunity and maybe you have that talent. But the majority of us in this room, we won't have that influence. But we do have one at a time. We do have the opportunity to influence one at a time with this approach. In Luke chapter 14, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells this parable that shows us a little bit of the method behind his ministry madness, if you want to call it. He's, he's sitting at the home of what would be called, uh, what we're, we're told is the, uh, the ruler of the Pharisees. So not just like righteous, but like really self-righteous, right? This is one of the, 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 the religious leaders of the day. And before we even get to verse 12, which is where we're going to spend most of our time, Jesus has already made this dinner party really, really awkward. He's already made it really uncomfortable for the people in attendance and especially the person throwing the party. When he first arrives, he meets a man with dropsy. It's the, the, the modern equivalent. We call it edema, edema. And it is like where uh, fluid is swelling in the body. And so this man is, is looking for healing. Now it's the Sabbath. So Jesus, on entering this place, he starts to look around and he knows that all of the Pharisees, we've already seen in the text earlier, that they're trying to trap him. They're watching everything that he did. It's the Sabbath. They know that he can't do work on the Sabbath. And so instead of just healing the man and causing this big stir and getting thrown out of the party, he asked them. He asked them, is it okay? He asked their permission. The Son of God asking the permission of a Pharisee, is it okay if I heal this man on the Sabbath? Well, they didn't have an answer for him because they knew that Jesus probably had the power to heal him, but he probably shouldn't because it was on the Sabbath. So they're kind of looking at the dirt, kind of kicking, you know, kicking rocks. And, and Jesus, is, Jesus heals the man, but he doesn't just go, he doesn't just heal them, but then he turns to them and he points out their hypocrisy. He says, if, if one of your oxen or one of your sons, whichever one you care about the most, had fallen into a pit today, would you have drugged him out? Would you have gone? You would, you would have spared no expense. You would have spared no um, labor. You would have gone and helped whatever it was you care the most about that fell in this pit. And so he calls them out. He says, you're, you're hypocrites. You only keep the rules of the Sabbath when it's convenient or when you can push it on other people. And so that's the first thing that happens. And, and, and they didn't answer, so he goes on. But then he goes and he makes matters worse. So they move on to dinner. They're like, all right, let's just get on with the party. Okay, you got us there, Jesus. Just keep, keep an eye out. 
He notices that everyone, when they come into the party, they start to take their seats in prominent places. They go to the head of the table. They try to get to the, you know, get really close to the host. And they want to, you know, they want to, you know, everybody wants to talk to the right people and get in the right people. And he starts to notice and he, he just kind of starts to, starts to out loud think, hey, when you, when you throw a party, maybe, maybe don't do it this way. When you, when you go into a place, you're really running a risk if you go and try to sit at the most prominent places at the table. And he's like, let me show you why. If you go and sit at a, at a prominent place at the table that you don't belong, someone's going to come in, tap you on the shoulder and go, actually, that seat is for Mr. or whoever, and you're going to have to move down. How embarrassing could that be? You know, like this seat is not for you. It's for someone else. You, you outplayed yourself. And so Jesus says, what you should do is you could come into a place like this, sit at the lowest place, And it would be an honor for someone to call you from the lowest place up to the higher place. He says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so he's called them hypocrites. He's questioned their motives of even being there. Like you, you don't even know where you belong in this whole pecking order of things. And then he's going to question the guest list. Look at, look at verse 12 in chapter 14, verse 12 in chapter 14. He also said to the one who invited him, to the host of the party, he says, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. I I had a feeling he's looking around the room and just like naming off people because that's what's happened here. Okay. Can you imagine how awkward this is? Really thick air here. Your rich neighbors, your, your, your relatives, your sisters, don't invite all of these people because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. I know every introvert in this room was just like, that's exactly why you don't invite people to your house, right? It's like, that's what I've been trying to say. Jesus gets me, right? Jesus gets me. It's like, if I invite them, then they're going to invite me, and then we have to go. If they send me a thank you letter, I've got to send them a thank you letter. And it's this whole mess of like, when are we done with this, you know, whole thing? And Jesus is like, if you invite them, they're going to invite you, and you'll both pat each other on the back, and you'll feel good about what you've done. He says, this isn't how you should throw a party. On the contrary, he says, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they show up and they give you a a nice little bottle of wine when they show up at the door. They give you a nice gift. No, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's, He's taking notice of everyone that's in the room and everyone that was there was invited for a purpose. The Pharisees. The the teachers, the higher class, the family and friends, everyone was invited. They didn't invite anybody who couldn't return. Jesus is likely the poorest person in this room. And we see in the first verse of, of chapter 14 that he was probably invited there as a trap. So every person that the host has invited, they have a plan for. Whether it's to pay them back for when they invited them over for Thanksgiving dinner or to trap them or to show them where they really belong in the pecking order. Jesus lived in proximity with people, the people, the peasants, the unholy, the tax collectors. So when he sits down at this banquet table, he notices none of them are there. See, the problem wasn't that they were having a banquet. The problem wasn't that that they had friends and family that they wanted to be with. The problem was the people that they had left out of the banquet. The ones that they never imagined inviting, the ones who who would have taken up time and space to accommodate. Man, we don't have the right wheelchair ramp. We don't have the right, like we don't have the time to go get all these people and accommodate everything that they need. There's probably people out there with like gluten allergies. Don't invite those people. Like 
Like, we've got to think of so many different things. Just invite friends and family. We all make about the same amount of money. We're all here for the same reasons. Let's just do that. And so Jesus, living amongst the people, peasants, unholy, tax collectors, prostitutes, he sits around the table of self-righteous leaders, and he calls out their hypocrisy. And while most of our lives are filled with uh, avoiding distractions, minding our own business, staying in our lane and in our neighborhood and our comfort zone, Jesus calls us to a different way of proximity, a different people to be close to. Kyle Eidelman says it this way. He says, one, way, one of the ways you know that Jesus is directing your life is that you'll find yourself in close proximity with one person at a time. One draining, one difficult, one different person at a time. And if you're like me, you live your whole life, maybe even thinking about trying to avoid draining, difficult, different people. You're like, I, I really don't have time for that. I, I, draining people. I don't, I don't have enough to drain. I have two kids under the age of eight. Like I, they're taking everything I've got. I can't drain anything else with somebody else. But Jesus tells this parable that I think helps us imagine a new way of living. Look at verse 16. Then he told them, a man was given a large banquet, just hypothetically. A man was given a large banquet and invited many. At the end of the banquet, he sent his servant, or at, the, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I asked you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. The other said, I, got mar- I just got married, and therefore, I'm unable to come. This is the danger of inviting all of your friends to something. You start to realize when you start to see the excuses, when you start to, you start to find out where you rank in the, in the order of things. You know, notice one guy would rather go watch grass grow than come to this guy's party, right? He's like, I just bought a field. I need to go make sure it's still a field. <laughs> like fields don't move. There's not a whole lot's going to change the next day. I got to go make sure it's actually there. You know, like the next guy, he gives a little bit better excuse, but it's kind of insulting. I don't want to go look at grass. I want to go look at the back of 10 oxen, okay? I want, to go, I want to go test drive these oxen. That sounds way better than your party, okay? Now, I think the third guy has the best excuse, okay? And, and if you're following along, you, you get it. Like, I think the third guy has the best excuse. My wife's not here in this service. She's at home, so she's probably watching online. But, like, he just, he doesn't give any, he's, he's not like, he's not like, I bought a field, I got to go see it, I got some oxen, got to test drive it. He's just like, I've got a wife, can't come. I mean, no excuses. None of that. Like, we, we get it. Like, actually, what's probably going on here is like, I forgot to tell her about the invitation weeks ago. There's no way we're coming to this party, right? There is no way. We don't have a babysitter. We don't have baby. We don't, you know, it's like, so I just got married. That's all enough. That's, these are not bad excuses. These are not sinful things. All right. This is not like, no, I'm going to a different drunken rager. I can't come to your wholesome party. This is, these are, these are good things. Proud of you, man. You bought a field. That's awesome. You know, five, five yoke of oxen is not a small purchase in those days. Getting married is an amazing thing to celebrate. He should spend time with his new bride. These are not, these are not, these are not these things, but it, but it is, it does show where their priorities lie. It's not about bad excuses. These are good things, but their priorities lie. It seems to be true when it comes to living 
and loving God and living and loving for other people, that it comes down to our priorities. I remember a few years back, we used to use Facebook events for all of our college life events. And we would make a Facebook event with a cool graphic and all that. And we'd push it out to everyone we knew. And it was almost probably annoying because you would get these messages and be like, I haven't been in college forever. Um, But you get these events and you could reply in multiple different ways. One way is just not reply at all, which happened to us a lot, which is fine. You know, just ignore it. Just forget that it exists. The other, the three options that Facebook gave you, one was I'm going to the event. Okay. That's pretty self-explanatory. I I plan on being there. I'll mark my calendar, all that. The other was I'm, um, I'm, what was it? The other one was like, I'm not going to the event. I got something going on that day. Okay. Something else is on the calendar. Something takes priority. The other one, which was maybe the most annoying one was I'm interested in going. (laughs) We know you're not interested in going. (laughs) I'm interested in going. And we would see, you know, we'd see, you know, five people say they're going, five people say they're not going, 35 people say they're interested in going, right? And, and isn't, that, isn't that a little bit how we, how we treat the way that we are following Jesus and loving other people and loving God? It's like, we're all in, interested, right? I'm all in, interested. Unless something else comes up, I'm in, interested. Just, just know that hey, no, no matter what, as long as Jesus wants to walk, I was already going this way. I've already got Sunday mornings open. I've already got that time. I've, I was already in the neighborhood. I was already there. I, it, it's convenient for me. I've checked my calendar. Jesus can come along as the co-pilot, but don't let him try to take the wheel, right? It's, it's fine. I, I, you know, if, if my plans work, my schedule works, my budget works, then yes, I'm interested. Living lives of proximity is different. Living lives of proximity means being fully committed and fully present. And fully committed and fully present. Have you ever been with somebody where it's like they're in the room, but it doesn't feel like they're actually in the room? Okay? If you ever hung out with me, that's what it feels like. Okay? Like, I, there's a reason I leave my phone backstage because I don't think I would pull it out in the middle of a sermon, but if it gets pretty boring, I mean, you guys do it. Why would not? You know, like, I'm like, I'm like, it's there. It's like, you know, quicker. Like I don't grab my wallet very often because there's nothing in it, but my phone is always in the other pocket. And I'm like, man, if there's a lull in the conversation, if there's a like, man, this is getting a little boring or somebody asks a question we don't know the answer to. Oh, I know who knows the answer. Google. Boom. I already got it. Right. But have you ever been with somebody who's like constantly checking their phone or their watch? And we know that watches aren't just watches anymore, right? That you can get all the phone stuff on the watch. Have you ever been there? Anytime me and my wife have a a conversation that lasts more than uh, 14 seconds, she will catch me like my eyes you know, like darting to other ways. Like we have, we have like these big windows in the back of our house. And so there are literal squirrels in our backyard. Okay. I'm not saying like, Oh, squirrel, like ADHD sort of stuff. It's like literal squirrels that distract me from every conversation that I have with my wife. And so if she's going on about, I don't know, we, you know, budget or kids or whatever, I don't know, but she's talking and I'll just like glance because there's a squirrel, a literal squirrel. We should look at this squirrel. This is a big deal. And she'll, She'll look at me and she'll go, where'd you go? <laughs> where'd you go? I was like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Right here. I'm present. <laughs> I'm not fully present because I want to go chase that squirrel like the dog does, right? But, but she'll, say, she'll say, I feel like you're here, but you're not present. You're distracted by something. Where did you go? I do this a lot. I, I blame it on things like ADD or I blame it on like that. I'm too tired and I just can't focus, all that sort of stuff. It really comes down to priority. It really comes down to being fully committed 
and fully present with the person that I'm talking to. A couple of weeks ago, we took the College Life Ministry to Colorado for our annual, which is now annual, ski trip. And love the trip. It's so much fun. And one of my favorite things about the trip is not the drive through Kansas, a shocker, but uh, one of my favorite things is, is actually sitting on the ski lifts. Okay? Some people are terrified by ski lifts because of what happens at the end of ski lifts. It's like a pile of bodies. But, but I love the ski lifts because you meet people from all over the world. And so as soon as I sit down and we get the, you know, we get the bar down, I'm immediately like, hey, where are you from? Where are you, where are you skiing? All that sort of stuff. And usually people will you know, uh, instigate the conversation already. It's like, man, we're having, we're having fun. We're talking, all that sort of stuff. I love it. But there was one day this year where I got separated from our group and I just decided, you know what? I could try to call everybody. All that. I'm just going to ski by myself this afternoon. I'm just going to go for a few hours. I'm just going to ski by myself. See how, see how that is. I'm an extreme extrovert. I'm going to go meet some people, okay? So I get on a lift and about six or seven other people get on. It's a really big lift. It's one of those enclosed ones where the door shuts and you've got like eight people on there. And we get on, there's a, there's a little bit of chatter, but then it gets quiet pretty quick. And this is like, let's go. You know, like it's time. Like, where are you from? What are you doing? You know, that sort of stuff. Like all of this sort of thing. But there's something in me. I think it was just like my quads were screaming. Um, my eyelids were real heavy. I'm real tired. I'm all bundled up and now I'm getting warm. You guys know how that feels, right? It was like, I'm kind of tired. Maybe I just won't talk to anybody in this thing. Like maybe I just won't say a word and see what happens. Maybe somebody else will, you know, will say something. And nobody said anything. And we rode this eight-minute lift. It must have been really awkward for everybody else because nobody was talking. It wasn't that awkward for me because I fell asleep immediately and got myself a nice little seven-minute nap. And then when the thing bumped at the top, I jumped up and was like, oh, nice. So, like, I'm not saying that, like, naps are bad, Okay. Maybe not on ski lifts. Maybe naps are bad on ski lifts. They don't recommend that. But, but I do find myself avoiding difficult conversations, uncomfortable people. I find myself grabbing my phone at the first sign of, you know, a lull in that conversation. I find myself messing with my radio, even though I have all the presets on the, you know, on the steering wheel sort of thing. I'll go, oh, I got to tweak this and that sort of stuff because there's someone standing there with a sign that needs help. Like I, I find myself not wanting to engage. Living lives of proximity means being fully committed and fully present, even when we have decent excuses. Are we willing to be interrupted? Are we willing to get off track so that someone could know the love of Jesus? Look at verse 21. Jesus continues. He says, so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. He says, nobody can come. They have decent excuses, but nobody can come. In anger, the master of the house told his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the city, and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. After all of his friends give all of these excuses, he opens the party up. He invites the people that he, know would, that he knows would love to come to this party if they were invited. He tells his servant to go start bringing them in. Look where he says. He says, go into the streets and the alleys of the city. So just like walk out into the neighborhood. Start inviting those people. When you see people that are, that are in need, the people who we have overlooked, bring them in. This is the second thing about living in proximity. Living lives of proximity means loving uninvited and overlooked people. Loving uninvited and overlooked people. We all know the parts of town that get avoided. We all know the types of people that get avoided. Most of us do everything we can to avoid those places and those people because they take up extra time and extra effort. Someone who might be different or difficult or draining. Someone who's always taking but never giving. Someone who can't let you finish a sentence. Or someone who, lets you, who, who always talks about themselves and never asks how you're doing. 
Someone who can't repay you. Someone who might not even say thanks. You know, the word that Jesus uses there is poor, and we think of poor as just people without money. The literal translation of the word poor there in the parable is someone without value. So the master says, go out and find all the people without value. All the people who would not bring a nice little gift with them, who have nothing to bring, let them into the party. The uninvited and the overlooked. You know, Beth Moore tells this story about years ago, when she was sitting in an airport in Houston, not Houston, Missouri. We have an airport, but it doesn't have a terminal. But she's sitting in the Houston International Airport at a really busy um, terminal. And she notices a man who was wheeled in by just one of the airport attendants and left there by himself. He was, he was really, really old. He was there alone. Nobody was, was tending to him. She describes him like this. He was old with a wiry frame. She describes his suit as one that looked like it would have fit him when he was 20 pounds lighter. She says this, the the description that she gives is like like the suit coat he had on still had the hanger in it. You could see his shoulder bones protruding out. He had this long, wiry, matted hair. She said his hands were a mess of bones and veins. Her natural inclination was to notice and then look away. That's what we do, right? We're like, oh, wow. Didn't expect to see that here. You know, like, oh, my goodness, like, do something else. So she was preparing for her next talk, and she says that God just kept on poking her. That God just kept on telling her, not only to go and talk to this guy, but a very specific thing that God wanted her to do. He said, I want you to go over, and I want you to brush her, brush his hair. I want you to brush his hair. And she's like, Jesus, like, really? In, in this crowded airport, you want me to go over without a hairbrush, and brush this man's hair. And she argued with God for a little bit, but we all know that that's not really worth it. And so, so she was convinced. So she walks across the terminal and she sits down next to this man who's all alone, but it's still a very crowded terminal. And she says to him, sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he said, what? <laughs> she said a little louder, sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he said, little lady, you're going to have to talk louder if you want me to hear you. And she's like, oh, Lord. In the middle of the Houston airport, she says as loud as he did, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he says, if you want to. If you want to. His eyes were so sad. and just to see why somebody would even offer that. And so now with everybody looking, she has to admit that she has offered this and does not have a hairbrush. And she says, well, sir, I don't, I don't have a hairbrush. She says, I have one in my bag. She goes around to the back of his wheelchair, unzips his carry-on bag, and there's a hairbrush waiting for her, and she starts to brush his tangled hair. And she raised two girls, so she knew how to, how to brush tangled hair. I'm still figuring this one out, but how you get to the point where the tangle is, you don't just keep going, right? You got to work that out, okay? A little moisture in there. And so she starts, she starts to brush his hair and she's having conversation with this man and she's like, surely this is the moment. Surely all of this is for a reason. God wants me to share the gospel with this man. And so she leans in and says in his ear, sir, do you know my Jesus? And he says, yes, I do. And she's like, for Pete's sake. Like, <laughs> God would have me do all of this for someone who already knows the Lord. And he goes on to tell her, he's like, yeah, I, I'm a believer. My, my bride of, of so many years, they, they've been married for a really long time, said that I had to get to know Jesus before I could get to know her. Ladies, take note. 
I had to get to know Jesus before I get to know her. And we've been married for so long. Here's the problem, though. I have been, um, I, I had to have open heart surgery here in Houston. And for almost two months, I've been away from my bride. She's been too ill, too old to travel to see me. And so I was just sitting here in this terminal trying to think of the mess that I would be when I got off the plane and got to see her for the first time in months. And the story continues, and she goes on to say that as they're boarding the same plane, the, the stewardess stops Beth and says, why, why did you do that? And she says, as only Beth Moore could, she goes, have you ever met Jesus? He's the bossiest thing. <laughs> she got to share the gospel with the stewardess, share the love of Jesus right there. If, you, if, you're, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you've lived in proximity with this idea, with the people who are uninvited and unwanted, you've likely found yourself in a situation like this where it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up. You think it's crazy that God would ask you to do that thing for that person. And you see that loving the uninvited and the overlooked is the way of Jesus. He did it time and time again. And it's never a mistake. So who are you overlooking? Who's left uninvited? At at your work, at your school? Who do you avoid because the conversation might take too long? Who do you walk by and disengage from? Like, hello, goodbye, you know, just the the standard talk because the effort is going to take too much. Just a time to love them. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. So he goes out into the streets and he goes out into the city and the neighborhood and he's like, everybody that we could find that was uninvited, we invited them. This is a very large banquet. There's lots of room left at the table. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Living in proximity means loving the uninvited and overlooked, but it also means going to the unfamiliar and uncomfortable places. Notice what Jesus says there. He says, so we've gone from the streets and the alleyways now to the highways, go outside of the city and the highways, into the hedges. Who are the people left on the side of the road? Who are the people that nobody is going out of their way to invite? I remember doing a meal delivery day with Freeway Church back a few years ago. And what I thought was going to be kind of a Meals on Wheels thing where you got the meals and then you just went to someone's house and handed them was actually feeding the homeless. And the homeless didn't come to a central location where we could hand them a meal. We actually had to go and find them. And there were all of these little patches of woods and briars and hedges that we hiked through. I remember a half-mile hike into the middle of the woods to give a meal to someone who'd lived there for 15 years. Jesus says, go to the highways and the hedges. Go to the people who nobody's going after and invite them in. And this is the challenge for us this week. Change up where you're going. I would tell you to take a hike, but that seems, that seems rude. <laughs> maybe you go to a different coffee shop this week. Maybe you go to something different. Maybe, maybe you go to the grocery store. Maybe you go inside the grocery store. I'm with you. I'm, I'm all about the, the Instacart, you know, delivery to my house, drive up and have them put it in the trunk, all that sort of stuff. That's great. But maybe you go in the store. Maybe you go in a different store. Maybe, maybe you intentionally eat somewhere else. But, but I want you to try this this week. When you intentionally go, just switch up your proximity. Why don't you try it with this prayer in mind? Maybe you pray this every morning before you go on a different route. God, God help me find myself in proximity.
or someone who needs to be seen. And it's amazing what will happen when you start looking, that you'll start to find them. When you go to the highways and the hedges, when you go to the alleys and the streets, to someone who needs to be seen, who needs to be loved for and cared for and listened to, God, give me this opportunity, give me this mindset. I pray that you would put somebody in my way, literally in my way. Mess up my schedule. Help me not reach for my phone when I'm standing in a line at the pharmacy. Help me take a longer way back to the dorm or to my car when I get out of class. God, give me just one chance to love the uninvited and overlooked person. This happened to me on accident a couple weeks ago. I actually filled up at a gas station I've never been to in Springfield before. I've lived in Springfield, you know, 10 plus years. I've never been to this. Well, I've got this app on my phone that tells me where the cheapest gas in town is and where I can get like a discount or a rebate or something like that. And I was like, that sounds like a good place to go. And then I realized when I got there why the gas was so cheap because I might lose my car while I'm there in the process. Okay? I was terrified. Okay? I was like, I got to get, this is one of those, I know they tell you not to get back in your car. I'm getting back in my car while this is going. Okay? So I'm filling up my gas tank and I notice a, a, a little old lady who's there filling up as well, but she didn't fill up her tank. You ever seen somebody like put the nozzle in for like 35 seconds and then pull it out? I know that today that costs like $75, but like it was, it wasn't very much. It couldn't have been very much gas. I was like, she did not get that out. Maybe, you know, I started thinking, man, is God trying to tell me to talk to this lady, to help this lady? I kind of just ignored it. And then of course, when mine's, you know, when mine's done, I, I, I take the nozzle out and of course the pump doesn't give me the receipt. Never. So I got to go inside and wait in line, right? I got to go inside. I'm waiting in line. Got my phone. No, no worries. I'm just going to scroll a little bit. I get up to the counter. I get my receipt. As I'm walking out, this lady's still sitting there in her car. She's done getting gas. She didn't need a receipt. She's still kind of just staring, sort of despondent off in the future. I was like, okay, God, you've, you've kept her here this long. I, th- I think you want me to say something to her. And I knocked on her window and I was like, ma'am, would you let me, would you let me fill up your gas tank? And her eyes started to fill up with tears. She steps out of the car and gives me a big hug. Look, I love hugs, but from people I don't know in places I've never been, I'm like, this is it. This is the end. Knife to the back. She's gonna, she knows I have a credit card. Now it's over, okay? So I, I, I embraced this hug. We filled up. And while, while the tank was filling up, it was maybe $20 to fill up her gas tank. She starts telling me the story of how she's originally from Atlanta and her brother was there in the hospital with COVID. It's probably not going to make it. And her sister's here in Springfield down at Mercy. And she's also probably not going to make it. They're thinking about transferring her to a long-term care facility. And, and she, she's putting $2 worth of gas in her car and just sitting there praying, hoping that she can make it to the hospital, back to work, and back home that day. And I don't, I don't tell you this story because, like, I got it right. Just remember why I was there in the first place. It was to save a few cents on a gallon of gas. But, but sometimes God has a funny way of getting you off track and putting you right where you need to be. And so this week, whether you put yourself in an uncomfortable, unfamiliar position or he forces you into one, be looking out for someone to love. Look for someone to care for. My prayer is that as a congregation that leaves here today, that we don't just drive the same roads on this cold, bitter cold day. We've all got other things to do. But you'd look for someone to care for. That we would follow Jesus into the harvest field, fully present 
into unfamiliar places, with with uncomfortable places, looking for the unloved, uninvited, and overlooked people. Because sometimes all they need is for someone to show up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you showed up. That you left the 99 and came after us. God, give us the boldness and the courage this week to go places we wouldn't normally go, to hear your voice calling us to the hedges and the highways, to the places where people are uninvited and overlooked into a community that is hurting and broken. God, would you use us as your ambassadors this week? With that prayer, help us to see someone who needs to be seen. I thank you for seeing us. Thank you for showing up. God, would we be your hands and feet to this community this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.